Yemei Chabad for the 15th day of the month of Elul. Uh, today is the day that they founded the first formal uh, Chabad Yeshiva, which is known as Tomchei Temimim, uh, in the year Tofrej Nun Zayin, uh, which, uh, which is in the... Um, late uh, 1800s, uh, towards the end of the late 1800s, um, the idea of a yeshiva is something that came about in the 1800s. A yeshiva meaning we're a gathering of students get together with a, with a rosh yeshiva, with a person that leads the, the yeshiva and they study. In the olden days, mostly, People would study on themselves in a bes medrash, in a study hall, in a cheder, uh, or the cheder was mostly for for younger children, for younger kids. But once they get older, it wasn't a formal, organized way uh, that the students would get together. But later on, the yeshiva started uh, coming together. Now, uh, Chabad, particularly they did not have. A yeshiva at the time uh, in which uh, they would have students get together and then on top of that it was also you had to provide for their needs you know you had to provide for them a place to eat you had to provide a place to sleep because if you're going to get people together you have to provide for all those things now there were these things amongst but as far as formal uh, Chabad place there wasn't a formal yeshiva the name of the yeshiva as we'll see was given as Tomchei Temimim that is the formal name of the yeshiva um, we'll see in a minute when they got the name and how the name was given to them but the this was announced as we had read earlier the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak he got married on the 13th day of Elul that was a Friday, we learned. That is, on the 15 days of El, on Friday he got married. During his marriage, uh, he was 17 basically at the time. He was 17 years old when he got married. Uh, he, he was born in Tafrej Mem, and uh, this was in Tafrej Nun Zayin. And um, the alter, the, his father, the Rebbe Rashab, Sholom Dov Ber, the father of the previous Rebbe, Sholom Ber, uh, he announced that he's founding this yeshiva in which the study of Hasidus will be intertwined with the study of the revealed part of the Torah. Because in most yeshivas in the time, they studied the revealed part of the Torah. What does the revealed part of the Torah consist of? It basically means the Talmud, it means the Torah, the Mishnah, the Law, the Code of Law, the Shulchan Aruch. They did not have a set time to study within the framework of the yeshiva to study the subject known as Hasidus. That's the Hasidic philosophy. But the Rebbe Rashab announced at that time, he said that he was thinking about the founding of such a yeshiva uh, for 10 years he had in, in, in mind uh, to see... Uh, to combine a yeshiva that will have both the revealed and the Hasidic part of Torah. Uh, during those years, he said, I had visited many times on the holy resting places of my father, of his father, the, his grandfather, Rebbe Maharash, and of my grandfather, the Samach Tzedek, which were all 
in the uh, city of Lubavitch. Uh, that's where they're interned, and that's where he would pray for them. But the purpose of this yeshiva, the Rebbe said, was not just to study Torah. Because, thank God, there is many yeshivas in which the Torah of study is uh, very strong and very, very powerful. But what I want is to illuminate light. I want to, the students, they should learn the regular, the ordinary, the revealed part of Torah that, that should be combined and it should be intertwined with the Hasidic teaching so that when you go in the street you should have something to go with you go on with that he says like this the Shiva that I am founding he says uh, I ask and I'm praying to Hashem that it should be blessed with fear of heaven it should be a spirit of one's service and one working with himself. It should be a spirit of pleasant, uh, pleasantness of people treating with kind to be uh, good midos. It should be a spirit of accepting the yoke of, of Hashem. Um, sometimes in yeshivas, the focus is only on academics. You know, they just want people to succeed and achieve how much knowledge or how brilliant or how uh, ideas, that's all what it is. They don't care so much to see that that which they're studying should actually be implemented, should come down in a way that it should refine you, make you a better person, change your character, have you uh, become a better person. And this is what the Rebbe Rashab wanted. He wanted that the people that studied Torah it should be intertwined with the teaching of Hasidus so that they should know that any part that they learn in Torah should not just be an intellectual exercise. It shouldn't be just a greatness of ideas, but rather to bring those ideas out in practical sense, in refinement, in fear of having to doing a mitzvah properly, with enthusiasm, helping somebody else, to taking that which you learned and bringing it out in a uh, in an actuality. He says, after approximately two years, and this took place on the night of Simchas Torah, in the year Tofrej Nuntes, during the time that they made Hakafas. Now, I'm a little bit... Uh, confused here, I'm speaking aloud, I don't understand if the yeshiva was founded in the end of the month of El of Rej Nun Zayin and Tof Rej Nun Zayin that's the Hebrew date uh, so that would make uh, El Tof Rej Nun Ches one year later that would make it one year and the Hakafas, which is the beginning of Tof Rej Nun Tes would just make it one year later. I don't understand why he says this is like two years. i got to find out. I don't understand why this is two years later. It seems to me almost that it was just a year and a few days. But here it says that this was after two years he gave the name. You know, in the uh, Hakafot, the circling that we circle around the Bima, so there are certain verses that we say, and it's based on the Aleph Bet. Also, it has one letter beginning with the Aleph, then with the Bet. 
the letter Tov over there that says Ose, it's talking about Hashem. It says, Tomeich Timimim, God who supports, who supports those who are, uh, go with righteousness, with simplicity, with innocence, with Hashem. Hashem supports them. So he paraphrased the word of Tomeich Timimim to Tomche Timimim. The students that will study over there, they call them timimim, basically wholesomeness, because they're sort of wholesome, because they don't only study the revealed part, they also talk Hasidus, they're wholesome. Tomchei timimim means those who support the support of the timimim. And uh, he says that the yeshiva is called Tomchei timimim. The students that learn and they conduct themselves in the spirit are called timimim. And he prays that Hashem, who gives the Torah, should bless those who study there and those that support. So Tom Chei is those who support the Timimim. That's also an allusion to the people who financially carry part of the burden to support and help these yeshiva students grow. That's been the name of all the general yeshiva Tom Chei Timimim. Now, when the Rebbe came to this country, there was also a lot of yeshiva tomchei timimim, but the yeshivas the, that were instituted outside, as for example the yeshiva in Boston, they were known as achei timimim, the brothers of the timimim. They were like uh, second to the tomchei timimim. They were known as achei timimim, like all the yeshivas in the surrounding, in Pittsburgh they made a yeshiva, in Springfield they made a yeshiva, in Worcester, in Boston, and in various other communities, the previous Rebbe, when he came here, they instituted yeshivas to provide for education for the students, but they called them Achei Timimim, that's like the brothers of the Timimim, and as a reference to the Tomchei Timimim. But the general name is the Tomchei Timimim. I mean, today, Baruch Hashem, thank God, there are thousands upon thousands of students that are being educated in this yeshivas, uh, which is the yeshiva Tomchei Timimim. One of the most beautiful things about these yeshivas was, and we hope that we can continue that tradition. It's changed a little bit in the last few years, I think. But one of the, one of the things, and maybe that's why it's called Tomchei Timimim. Tomchei Timimim has right away the support of the Timimim. It's right away within the name. Uh, one of the things that was unique with the Lubavitch yeshivas, with the Tomchei Tmimim yeshivas at the time, is, you know, especially when people came from Europe, we're talking about right after the Holocaust and during that period of time, people were very, very uh, poor. They didn't have any financial means to send kids to yeshivas. And, you know, it was an easier option, I mean, to send kids to public school. It doesn't cost anything to educate. And a lot of people wouldn't send their kids to yeshivas for that reason. And, um, but the Lubavitch yeshivas were unique. They took in kids. It didn't matter whether you could afford to pay or you couldn't afford to pay, or if you couldn't afford to pay very little, they still took in those kids. Many generations of today's Hasidim, Lubavitch people of the Chabad community, are a result of those children that were taken in for less than the regular amount. And their struggles, mind you, wasn't any less than today. I mean, um, teachers had to get paid. 
the mortgage had to get paid, the electricity, and nobody gave anything for free. So they had the bills to pay. And they were under tremendous amount of pressure all the time, the people that led the yeshivas. But yet their policy was not to turn away any child because of a lack of funds. That wasn't the criteria. But, you know, I'm saying, I'm hoping you can go through today. It's changed a little bit. The mood has changed. The people that are running the yeshivas lately don't have, I guess, uh, that level of dedication or... The people that are sending to the yeshivas have funds, but they don't want to share, separate themselves from the funds. I mean, it probably is a little bit of everything, but uh, today it's a little bit different. But they used to literally accept, you know, and I know personally, even of my wife's family, uh, who came to Chabad, I think the reason they came to Chabad was because the Labavitch yeshiva was the affordable yeshiva. They came, they were Holocaust survivors. They didn't have any money, and they couldn't send anywhere. So the option was either public school or send to yeshiva, which accepted them for what they could pay. And that's where my wife was educated in the equivalent to the uh, Chabad. You know, they were educated, and the whole family was is a Chabad family. But it's just to say they ran their yeshivas with, uh, you know, with big deficits. And the Rebbe would always say the... Uh, sign of a viable company is by the size of the deficit. You know? <laughs> if you don't have, if you have a big deficit, that means that you're doing a lot of things, that you're you're doing a lot of good work. You know, and uh, managed to raise the funds to cover the deficits. Somehow, somewhere, so nobody, in some ways, they had to do it, or somebody got stuck. I'm not sure exactly how it happened at the end of the day. But again, it's, it's really, we can't really criticize anyone. People are trying to do, you know, you as right. you know, you do right. I mean, the people that are running the, the institution, they have a very difficult and a very uh, awesome responsibility. And they got to make sure that they get the best teachers possible. So they got to pay the bills. And if you're not going to pay, you ain't going to get the teachers. And if you're not going to pay, so they're trying to get the funds you know so it's 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 a it, yeah and it's a problem which doesn't have a very uh, easy answer and i don't know but i'm just saying it but on the other hand um, you know we also learn in the pirkei avot and we learn in other places our sages tell us that you must be very careful with children that come from poor homes because the torah sometimes comes out of these people sometimes there is a special uh, brilliance. Uh, there's a special uh, level of achievement that can be achieved sometimes from these poor kids. You don't know, and you know. There's, there's even stories of um, certain certain situations. And uh, you remember, it used to be that the radio broadcaster used to have the rest of the story. You know, oh, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you uh, what, Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey. Yeah, he used to have. A, yes. He used to always tell you the rest of the story. So, so one of the, one of the one of the, you know, there's some 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 other stories like that that came out at the end, or as the other guy said, like the chicken soup for the soul. You know, different. So one of one of the stories goes that the um, uh, there was a simple person that helped out uh, another kid who who got stuck in the swamp and he saved his life and. And he was the son of a very wealthy person, and the wealthy person, I, I don't remember the names, but the very wealthy person has to do with medicine. That very wealthy person... His people that came from poverty. Came from poverty. The, the top, the fifth wealthiest man in America. 
Well, here we're talking about education, not only about money, but we're talking about education. He came out of Roxbury. His father was a cab driver, and now he owns a Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And he's worth like $25 billion. Wow. Actually, that was one I was talking about this morning. And I told you, Adelson, when he builds, you know, when he gives, he doesn't give money, he gives stock. Uh-huh. But he gave the money to Hebrew. But the end of this story, but the end of the story that I was telling you was that he saved drives up a nobleman, the father of the kid who was saved. He comes over to him with a stack of gold or coins. He said, I want to pay you. You saved my son's life. I want to pay you for it. He says, I'm not going to take money for, <laughs> for saving a life. Yeah. That's my duty. You know, I'm not going to take money for that. So he says, but you know, you saved life. I need to do something for you. He says, one thing I'm going to do. He says, I am going to offer you to give an education to your son. You can't afford but this was in Scotland. He says, I'm going to give your son the, uh, to go to the medical school together with my son. That he didn't refuse, and he accepted that. And then that poor man's son grew up. He founded penicillin. And eventually, that kid that he saved got sick. His life was saved by the discovery of the penicillin of the kid that he helped put through college. So you see? So to put through medical school. So what comes around goes around. This, in this case, is open that you can actually see. You can put your finger on it. And you can say, well, I helped you. And then Fleming. you ended up helping. Fleming. 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 That's right. That's right. Exactly. You know, the name is Fleming. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was the, that's a true story. That's a very true story. But the true story happens all the time. When you have to help a kid go to school, you don't know what's going to happen in a few years down the road, how things are going to turn out. That person that you helped, and that's an old statement saying, written thousands of years ago in the Tanakh, which says, Shlach lach Cast your water, bread on the water, because in days to come you are going to find it. You know, in other words, when you do something, that's not really the reason why you should do it. That's not the reason, that's an ulterior motive. This fellow did it because that was his obligation. He didn't want any reward, he didn't want any payment for it. But he did it because that was the right thing and that was the uh, good thing to do. That was his heart told him to do. But at the end of the day, when you do what's right, at the end of the day, you got works out. Now, the bottom line is, even if you have an ulterior motive, as long as you do good. In matter of fact, in the Torah, we know that one shouldn't really do things for ulterior motives. Uh, one should do it for the right thing. You know, if you want to serve Hashem, you want to do it because God. It's a privilege to serve God, and we want to do it is just because of the privilege. We don't want. We're not asking for God to give us anything in return just because we're doing a service for Him. That's the right way to do it. But there is an exception to that. One is allowed to test God. You're never allowed to test God and say, God, okay, you know, like you know that story about the fellow, uh, he's looking for a parking space. And he's a very important meeting for him. And there's no parking space. And it's, it's like a million dollar deal that he has to make. So, in desperation, this gentleman, he makes a prayer to God. He says, God, if you get me a parking space, I promise I'm going to stop putting on the tefillin every day. Now, no sooner can he finish to make the promise in his heart, 
In front of him, the guy pulls out. He says, never mind God, I already got this face. <laughs> so, but we don't do things. We don't put on tefillin so God should give us a parking space. We don't do things like that. But there's an exception to that. The exception is giving charity. One who gives charity and he makes a condition with Hashem. He says, I'm going to give charity on the condition that my son is healthy. That my son will get well. Because his son is sick. And the like, the Talmud says, that fellow would be considered a tzaddik gamur, a complete righteous act. Even though his act is, and it seems like an anterior motive. Because, and that's why, when you cast your bread in the water, it says, Shlach lach send it. Even though your motives may be ulterior, you may have something in mind. But as long as you're doing something positive right now, you're helping the guy, you're helping the person, you are giving him tzedakah, so you can, and you can actually test Hashem with that. So not only is it okay to do that, but you can test. Hashem says, If you test me, test me with this. If you want to test me, Give tzedakah and see if I'm not going to come through for you. Now, you did and it didn't? Did. And what? He did. Remember that? With the, you said to me that morning when I had that problem with the guy with the money. Oh, that's right. It worked? It worked. He had a personal experience. <laughs> that's right. A personal experience. I told you about the situation yeah. I had. He says, if you get tzedakah, so I put some money in. And that day I got the phone call. And he got, that's amazing. That's right. Yeah. It attributed a miracle to me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, pretty, don't pass around the word. You know, pretty, pretty soon people will start. Uh, no, but the, the point over here is that sometimes when your act that you're doing is righteous, so okay, motives. What can you get me for ten dollars. <laughs> motives, come motives. On. Oh, come on, you wanna, you want, you don't wanna, you don't wanna win the, the lottery for fifty bucks. You wanna win yeah, something substantial. You gotta, you gotta, it's gotta be. I already have so, it. Yeah, everything. Okay. All right. Anyways, no, all the blessings are good. No, but the point here is that, no, I just wanted to conclude with that, that the um, yeshiva, Tomchet Mimim, I think, this is just an idea that I have, it's put in the word the support of the Timimim. The Rebbe made, though, people that support these yeshivas, the people that support their, you know, outreach, and by extension, the Chabad House, the general Chabad movement, outreach, the Rebbe has made them a part of the name of the yeshiva, which means it's a partnership. It's a partnership which the supporters and the Temimim, which is the name of the students and the supporters, are all intertwined into one name, meaning to say that you are actually equal partners, that you are people that are combined just like the Rebbe said, I want the Hasidus and the uh, revealed part of Torah, the two parts, to be intertwined. He also, I think, meant, not so articulated, but he also meant that the supporters and the Tememim should also be intertwined together, which means that the part that they all have should be sort of a combined partnership, so that the person who has more time to study uh, would part of his Torah will be to the merit of the person who's supporting it. And the person who's doing business, part of his uh, finances will be to finance and to help them study. So this has been a partnership, though, that's been going on since uh, time immemorial. This is going on from back to Socher and Zvulun. We read that they made a partnership, and this was also between 
the people that David would study Torah so that Yoav could go in the war. This has been a partnership between the different parts of the Jewish people. And I think that this is an additional thing that the Rebbe wanted to support. We just got to figure out ways. I mean, thank God the... Uh, a lot of influential Jewish people, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money. We just got to figure out ways to have them direct their money in the right ways instead of spending $50 million on a piece of art or something which nobody can benefit. We should try to find ways for them to channel, to get them to channel the monies to help kids get a good education, to help parents that need those help. You know, that's, that's the challenge for us to get people to invest in what's really uh, meaningful that is lasts for generations generations to come. As I said, you know, if you help a kid and you, you, you give them an education, uh, you never know what kind of a chance you gave them, what, what opportunities you, you, you provided for them, and how this is going to change the world in the future. So these are all very important things, and I think this is all has to do with the Tom Timimim that the Rebbe Rashab founded then, and it's still going on today, and Till be as goyel tzedek, till Mashiach will come. Be meir, be yamein, amen.